Welcome to She Persisted. I'm your host, Sadie Sutton. Every Friday, I post interviews about mental health, dialectical behavioral therapy, and teenage life. These episodes break down my mental health journey, teach skills to help you cope with life, and showcase testimonials from individuals, including teens just like you. Whether you've struggled yourself or just want to improve your mental fitness, this podcast is your inspiration to live a life you love and keep persisting. This week on She Persisted. I used to always want to check out of my reality. Like I would do whatever it took to check out and to not be present in my life. And now I want to check into it. Like I, I really like being in my life, even when it's really messy and unpredictable and challenging. There's always opportunities for growth. And when that perspective shifts for you and you learn how to be okay with sitting in the discomfort of your life that pain and that suffering and those challenges begin to mold you and shape you and you begin to grow and evolve this week's dbt skills be present while this isn't technically a dbt skill within the manual it's one that we learned at residential and it was always one of my favorites it's super straightforward you be present You pay attention to your current thoughts, emotions, surroundings, accepting them as they come, letting go of judgments. You're mixing in some mindfulness skills while really letting go of future tripping and doing your best to not ruminate about the past. This is a great skill to implement within your daily life, increase your feelings of balance, peacefulness, and joy. So this week, take a moment to be present in your current emotions, sit with that joy, discomfort, whatever it might be, and live life to the fullest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of She Persisted. I am hyped for this episode. We took three weeks off for summer break, and we are back with a bang, folks. And this is one of my top five all-time favorite episodes. I'll get into the guest and a little bit about what we're going to talk about in a minute, but a couple things to tell you right off the bat. First things first, I'm doing a giveaway on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at She Persisted Podcast, and I'm giving tons of makeup, skincare, drinks like coffee and liquid IV like water mixes and journals and stickers like just tons and tons of stuff. We hit 2,000 followers, so celebrating that. So go ahead and make sure you check that out. I'll put the link in the description and you can also follow me on Instagram at She Persisted Podcast to check out that giveaway. And other things, just very, very excited to be back. Skipping the Q&A this week so that we can just jump right into this episode because it's that phenomenal. But with that being said, our guest this week is Alexis Haynes, my podcast mom. I am her podcast intern. I do her editing. If you are in her Life Reset course, you see me on their calls. She is one of my favorite humans out here, and this episode does not disappoint. She went from a teenage heroin opioid addict, got sober at 19, has now been sober for almost a decade. Alexis is now an addiction center owner, a mom, doula, podcast host, and more. She is living proof that sobriety, recovery, and healing are possible. And this is an episode that will have your jaw on the ground. You will be inspired. You will be motivated. You'll be wanting to take notes on all the amazing things she says in this episode. But without further ado, let's just dive into it because it's that great. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I've been wanting to do this for now almost a year. So, so exciting that we're finally doing this. I am so happy to be here. Anything for my Sadie. So diving right in, let's hear you, your story, your journey, how it all started, all the craziness going back. I don't even know how many years, but but hearing your your growth and your journey and that complete 180 that happened. 
so I'm about to turn 30, which is like mm-hmm. wild. <laughs> 30 is flirty and thriving. 30 feels huge. 30 feels mm-hmm. like monumental, especially for someone like me who, who, when I was in my active addiction, didn't necessarily think I would live past like 24, 25. Yeah. So to be here is, a really remarkable thing and I'm and I as much as I'm like Ew, 30 I'm also like okay this is a good <laughs> this is a good place to mm-hmm. be in um but yeah I I I got sober when I was 19 so it's been a decade of recovery and not just recovery from drugs and alcohol but from life you know that's I guess that was kind of my my biggest takeaway as I approached my 10 years is that like it's not just about recovering from substances the substances really aren't the problem the problem is like our own personal pain and our collective suffering I think if COVID's really illuminated anything if this last presidency illuminated anything it was that the collective is really suffering So I grew up in a really dysfunctional household. My dad was a pretty aggressive alcoholic. He was physically violent towards me. My mom was this kind of free-spirited, pot-smoking hippie, but like in the turn of, you know, snap of a finger, she could rip you apart. And my parents separated when I was a toddler. and. So I never really had a nuclear family and we were, Mm -hmm. we were really dysfunctional. I had a lot of sexual abuse that was going on in my home that lasted from four to seven, picked back up again at the hands of babysitters and my dad's girlfriends. And eventually when I was 17, I would be raped and and I kept it all a secret I just kept it all a secret because well really if I'm being honest because of like the programming that I received from society which basically said that you know I was not pure not clean not worthy not lovable because I was damaged and messy and (laughs) out of control right it's interesting because my mom and I talk a lot about this in the life reset course as you know like the the different ego states that we turn to as a result of our experience life experience and for me for that big first chunk of my life I'd say zero to maybe 11 I was really an adaptive child like I, I just was a people pleaser. I was the adult, right? I'd grow up really fast. I tried to make everyone happy, keep the peace, despite the fact that like I was on a regular basis dealing with chaos. I became that adaptive yeah. child. And I'm sure many of your listeners will understand this switch that happens when eventually we say enough. And when we say enough, and we've had that much trauma and no support, most of the time we don't go, oh, I'm going to go to therapy, I'm going to get help, and I'm going to get better, which would be 
moving into our adult right especially because we're so young but for me at 11 I was just like screw this and I became the rebellious child yeah the rebellious child in me she came out and she woo Mm -hmm. like she was just guns a blazing like Mm anti-authority don't tell me what to do started using drugs started getting boyfriends started partying started getting really out of out of control in quotes because it's so funny that like anyone would the comparison to like in control would be you know like my parents were not in control of me and it's like my parents were out of control too <laughs> there was no control yeah, and you were controlling Having your it, emotions it, your yes yeah absolutely so the shift took place and I, I started exploring with substances and not with just substances but with food and escaping through like media back then we didn't have phones like we do today but you know, I was trying to like be in another universe anywhere, but with me. Right. (laughs) And that's, what's Mm -hmm. so interesting Mm -hmm. is like before, before the drugs, there was clearly a problem and most people don't, don't look at it that way. They go, Oh, the drugs are the problem. Right. Like your life got really bad because you were on drugs. And it's like, no, my life was really bad and then I found drugs which was a temporary solution to my pain and then that pain kept growing and so I needed more and more drugs (laughs) and then eventually my behaviors became out of control because my desire to stay high was far more important to me than anything else so Mm -hmm. by the time I was 16 I would become an opiate addict by the time I was just shy of 18, I would become a full-blown heroin addict. By the time that I was 19, I would get sober. So that kind of just shows you how fast the progression of my using just was really quick. And there was a number yeah. of factors in that. Obviously, having more access, you know, we ended up getting the TV show when I was 17 started filming when I was 19 and with an increase in funds all of a sudden it was like party city right like I could just party and use drugs as much as I wanted or needed to and you know also by the time that I was 19 I was also twice convicted felon so I would end up going to jail the first time for burglary getting sober in jail, right? Kicking, Mm -hmm. cold turkey, horrible experience, obviously, very painful. Yeah. And then after I kicked in jail, I kind of had that like epiphany moment that a lot of people talk about, which is like, okay, you're a mess. You know, drugs are bad. You should probably not do drugs anymore. (laughs) <laughs> but again, it goes back to this whole thing of like, it's not the drugs, though. It's not the drugs. Yeah, yeah. It's the pain. And so when that 18-year-old, or I was, ni- yeah, I just turned 19. 19, I turned 19 four days before I went and did j- serve my sentence. 
uh, four days after. Mm-hmm. So I turned 19 and yeah, literally four days after, which is now weird because that's my daughter's birthday. Bizarre that that worked out that way. But anyway, so went in jail and got out. The pain was too bad. Went right back to drugs, using escalated to the point where I couldn't show up to probation anymore. I was spending every waking hour like panhandling and trying to find money for drugs. And then all of a sudden, before I knew it, it had gotten so bad that the cops were after me. You know, my probation officer was like looking for me and it was just a mess. And I ended up going back to jail, kicking all over again. (laughs) And by the grace of God, you know, I ended up getting sentenced to a year in treatment instead of three to six years in prison, which is what I was facing. And now my treatment experience is very different from your treatment experience. Although I will say that there are similarities, you know, and as someone who's like a treatment provider today, I strive to (laughs) make Mm -hmm. the experience that our clients have very different. So the whole idea of like behavioral health and behavioral modification is just so ass backwards because like as if my usage was a matter of a behavior, if it was a behavior, then the amount of times I wanted to stop, the amount of willpower I had would have worked, right? Because like being hooked on drugs isn't, isn't a matter of willpower. Like when we are like that desperate and that broken, I mean, like my addiction was so, I'm going to spare everybody all of the details, but it was the most demoralizing and inhumane and just awful. I mean, like awful experience. And so, you know, when I, wanted to get sober the countless times that I did it wasn't a matter of willpower right because I had the will like I had the desire I just could not get sober and so what's interesting about my experience in treatment is that it wasn't the therapy that kept me sober at all Mm -hmm. I mean therapy is great did it for a very long time I've been back on and off throughout the last 10 years of my sobriety But what really kept me going was community, was finding people who felt the same way that I did, that had been through the same things that I had. People who, like, it became very clear to me that, like, oh, I'm not crazy. Like, my parents are crazy, right? (laughs) Like, um, this world is crazy. And that's why I think I love Johan Hari's work so much, right? His book, Lost Connections, created a profound shift in, in my life, because it just so clearly lays out the ways in which society impacts us in such a profound way, our interpersonal relationships, and just the way that we are operating it's just no longer sustainable. So then, you know, and of course, like we have to take personal responsibility. I'm not negating the fact, like no one stuck a needle in my arm, right? Like I, there, there's like a balance here, right? But it's like, we've spent so much time focusing on one end of the per- 
perspective, which is that like it's the addict's fault, they don't have any will power, even the disease model, I don't necessarily agree with. We're not diseased. I, I mean, th- yeah. that helped us and got us farther and maybe made society's view of us a little bit more humane, gave us some humanity back when it came to mm-hmm. the the suffering that people were going through. But yeah, there's definitely this balance there. So the community really is what kept me sober and kept me going. And and of course, there's been work, right? The work happened. Like yeah. God, universe, spirituality, whatever you want to call it. Like we will always be presented opportunities in our life to heal from our trauma. And over the last 10 years, I've spent most of that time working through all of those limiting mm-hmm. beliefs and all of that pain and all of the suffering. And that's really what like relieved the obsession for me from, from substances. Mm-hmm. Now I, when I was in my early years of sobriety, I was like, how am I never going to have a glass of wine for the rest of my life? I was 19, right? Like mm-hmm. I couldn't possibly imagine yeah. how that would be the case. And mm-hmm. now it's just, it's not even like a thought that crosses my mind. And this is how I came up with the the title of the podcast, of my podcast, Recovering from Reality, with Evan. It was like, I used to always want to check out of my reality. Like, I would do whatever it mm-hmm. took to check out and to not be present in my life. And... Now I want to check into it. Like I, I really like being in my life, even when it's really messy and unpredictable and challenging. There's always opportunities for growth. And when that perspective shifts for you and you learn how to be okay with sitting in the discomfort of your life, that pain and that suffering and those challenges begin to mold you and shape you and you begin to grow and evolve. And so recovering from reality was really born out of that. And, and I think that that was, that's, that's really where like I live and operate out of today. It's like this, these are all opportunities for growth. And I really like being here. you know, like in the fullness Mm -hmm. of life. So that's like a very condensed version of of my story. Yeah. Yeah. This week's podcast episode is brought to you by me. If you didn't know, I have a side hustle as a social media manager. So also sprinkle in a little bit of web design, gift design, podcast editing and production. And that's what I'm doing in my free time. So if you are looking for someone to manage your Instagram and Facebook accounts, if you want to commission some gifts, hire a web designer for an upcoming project, or get a podcast editor and producer to make your life a little bit easier, be sure to head to sheperssisted.com slash work with me to check out my portfolio, inquire about pricing, and see what packages I offer. Again, that's sheperssisted.com slash work with me to hear about social media management, podcast production, web design, and more. I want to dive into the idea that it wasn't the drugs, it wasn't these different behaviors, because Mm -hmm. I think that's something that gets a lot of focus, especially in teen treatment and teen presentations. It's really getting rid of whether it's drug use, self-harming, suicidality. The, The goal is not to heal those underlying feelings. The goal is to get rid of the behaviors. And so I love your perspective on 
how these are just it's it's how the pain is presenting itself and I really want to hear your perspective on that and how we can shift that that in the treatment world yeah I mean that's that's really what it is it's like the the negative and I put negative in quotes because it's not really a negative Mm -hmm. behavior we have to change that too because drugs saved my life yeah right like they actually Mm -hmm. ended up saving my life because I probably would have taken my life had I not had drugs because of the amount of pain that I was Mm -hmm. in okay so that's the first thing Mm -hmm. so if drugs or self-harm or whatever it might be is a solution a temporary solution but is a behavior that is harming the person and the family unit Mm -hmm. then we have to go oh okay so this is causing pain for this person but it's also their solution. So how do we fix this? Okay, so we have to look at that underlying cause of the pain and we have to be willing to go in and heal that. But here's the other thing with Sadie. It's like each person's pain is their own. Everyone has the right to heal it when they're ready to. (laughs) And I think that it's, really I have a really hard time with people forcing that on other people I think that there's a way prevalent in the treatment industry because there's that lack of consent to entering that journey Mm -hmm. you're just kind of thrown into it yeah and I think we as a society need to ask ourselves this why is this person's behavior addiction, whatever it might be, bothering us so much? Is it because I'm afraid for people to think that I have a challenging kid? Is it because our family looks different? Is it because it's triggering unmet stuff in myself and my own psyche? Is it because I know that I've played a part in this, right? And it's like, when we start focusing more on ourselves and not so much on that other person and we start having empathy for that other person that person will begin to heal just through that right like some of the most profound work that I've you know had the honor of of participating in with others when facilitating care for somebody who's using substances or self-harming or whatever it might be is is really working with the family to heal themselves first and then dropping all of the shame and all of the shaming, right? And presenting our case, I guess, because that's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to present this case and hope that this person heals. And so when we do so from a place of unconditional love with no manipulation, no shaming, and no judgment. Usually that person who's hurting begins to feel safe enough to open up and to recognize that they are unconditionally loved and 
there is no greater and more powerful motivator than feeling unconditionally loved. Most of these kids don't feel unconditionally loved. The love is very much so conditional. You use drugs, you know, we're going to shame you. I feel a little less loved. You know what I mean? It's just like you self-harm, you have sex, you're gay, you're whatever it might be. We love you a little bit less, right? And, you know, unconditional love is is so powerful. It is, you know, like, I meet you where you're at. You don't have to change for me. I'm concerned about you just because I love you so much. And I am so sorry that I ever tried to make you change or to be any different. And I am so sorry for any part that I've played in harming you in your life. And like, I want to talk about this and I want to have these conversations and I want to take responsibility for my part and I want to be a part of your life no matter what, whether you choose to stop using drugs or not. And I know for some parents that are like, this is radical. You're telling your <laughs> teen that they can use drugs, you know? And no, I mean, like the goal, if the goal though is to get this person off drugs, interventions and behavioral health treatment is not going to be the golden ticket. I can guarantee you that. And what happens, especially at these places now, we're seeing the fact that they get put on so many drugs. Yeah. They end up walking mm -hmm. out on like 15 different meds. And those meds mm -hmm. fuck your brain up for the rest of its life. Right? It's yeah. like, and then they end up with me, right, at, at 35. Right? They, they start at, <laughs> at 16. They start at 16, and then they're in the revolving door of toxic treatment centers and you're out you know potentially hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars and they're 35 so years expensive. old and they're addicted to meth and heroin and you're like why how did we get here it's like because it's obvious <laughs> because we've never dealt with like the the roots right mm -hmm. and like and that's the thing too is like Thankfully, like, I stayed close enough to my new family that I was making and, you know, had been in recovery enough to be able to start setting boundaries with my family and they started to get better, right? But for many, the families never get better. They do this, like, bullshit therapy, right, which is so mm -hmm. not productive because nobody's, no one's really doing the work. No one's really doing the work. We, we're still pointing fingers as if the person who is expressing the pain in the family unit, who is, you know, some people would call them the black sheep, right? Some people would identify them as the identified patient or the problem child or whatever it might be. And we're not looking at like the, the dysfunction in the rest of the family unit and so these yeah. people get sober or they get better at these facilities and then they go home and the work is not sustained and then you They're immediately being, relapse because you're right back yeah. in the toxic environment and you and why would you not 
because mm-hmm. they're now triggering they're they're now triggering not only your personal pain again but the belief systems that we have about who we are and our worthiness and our security and our safety and all of those things too yeah. so it's like well the only thing that is constantly reliable in my life is self harm is this eating disorder is the drug addiction is escaping with these relationships, is sex, is whatever that behavior is. And so it becomes really challenging to stay sober because we, we're usually going back to the same environment that we were trying to escape from in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you are truly healing the root of the problem not this presentation Mm -hmm. of drug addiction self-harm toxic relationships is that truly finding unconditional love for yourself is it rewiring belief systems is it building your family of choice what does that mean to truly heal your your root pain well oh god Sadie it's all of it such a loaded (laughs) question Um, I mean I and it's the belief that like there was nothing wrong with you in the first place yeah there's nothing wrong with you in the first place and I'm all about it like you know I'm all about shadow work and underlying belief Mm -hmm. systems and EMDR and trauma therapy and emotional freedom technique tapping I love all of those things but I guess like for me, it is just constantly reminding myself that like, I'm okay. Like I am not a problem, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. that my fear, cause fear is something that still comes up for me, not as frequently as it used to, not even close, but it still rears its ugly head when it wants to. Right. Yeah. And sometimes out of that fear, I can be hyper reactive. And so I have to remind myself, like, this isn't real. You're okay. You know, nothing's going on here. (laughs) Everything is fine, right? But I I think everyone's journey is unique. So I started in AA, like, fundamentalist. I joined the Pacific group, which is so hardcore. Started in AA. And I felt a really strong spiritual calling that to leave. Like I was like, this is not the place for me. This I don't necessarily agree with everything that they're saying here. And I found myself leaving meetings feeling worse off than I did when I got there, which is yeah. that's not a good thing, right? And I, I tried to stick it out for a long time, and then my sponsor, who had twenty four years of sobriety left and then I left shortly thereafter and then I dove into years of trauma therapy on and off and I even did transcranial magnetic stimulation for my depression I saw hypnotists and spiritual healers and I've done like everything underneath the sun and I don't know exactly what created that like final shift, but 
it was just this moment that I had in meditation. And I am an avid meditator. And I will say that I think everyone needs to be meditating every Mm -hmm. single day. But I had this, this shift where I just felt profoundly connected to all that is. And in that moment, it was like this deep knowingness that everything's okay. Like, you're always okay. It's okay. Like, (laughs) it's all good. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that was a big moment for me. Which is so crazy because it's like all of these presentations of people trying to heal that pain is just to hear that they're okay. It's okay. And it'll Mm -hmm. be okay. Like that was what everything was and you you found that and you found it in yourself, which is just so, I don't want to say crazy because that's not the right word, but amazing. No, but that's how it should be. Yeah. That's the thing is like we're always looking, I guess what I feel is that a lot of the times when we're seeking Mm -hmm. through meditation or not through meditation, through Sorry, a lot of times when we're seeking through therapy, I'm not shitting against therapy again. Like I am not <laughs> anti-therapy through AA, through a sponsor, through whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. We are looking to others to fix us still, just the same way we are looking for drugs or alcohol or whatever it might be to fix us. And the mm-hmm. gift of meditation is realizing that like you're the guru, you're the healer you're the healed, you Mm -hmm. can heal, like, you're it, you're it, literally, Mm -hmm. and I found this, you know, through, through, I mean, a plethora of books, (laughs) just nonstop reading, but through, yeah, through, like, reading and exploring my mind, through journaling, through all of that, and so today, even in the work that I do, I always remind people, like, I'm not here to be your spiritual guru that you turn to for like every question that you have. I'm simply here to like illuminate that in you because you have that, you know, I don't cling on to every word that I say. And it's interesting because like I'll make a misstep on social media or whatever it might be. And I go, see, this is it. This is why Mm -hmm. I always say, do not put me on a pedestal. Do not, you know, because I am human. I'm not here to, like, be anything else. So, yeah, it really, it it was a moment for me. And I I never since life has just gotten a lot, a lot easier. Yeah. This week's episode is sponsored by Teen Counseling. I cannot tell you guys how many DMs, texts, emails I get from teens, parents, even friends asking, how can I find a therapist? How can I enroll in therapy? How can I find a therapist for my teen? How do I tell my parents I want to go to therapy? That's why I'm partnering with Teen Counseling. Teen Counseling is an online therapy program with over 14,000 licensed therapists in their network. They offer support on things like depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, and more, and it's all targeted at teens. They offer text, talk, and video counseling. So no matter what level of support you're looking for, they got you. 
You're going to go to teencounseling.com slash she persisted. You'll fill out a quick survey about what your goals are for therapy, whether that's improving your mental health during the pandemic, working on your relationship with your parents, improving self-esteem, whatever it is, they'll match you with therapists that fit your needs. You'll enter your information and your parents' information. Your parents will get a super discreet email saying your child is interested in working with a licensed therapist at teencounseling.com. They head to the website, learn a little bit more about the program and a preview to work with a therapist. And from there, you can meet with that therapist on a frequency that works for you. This is a great way to dip your toe into the therapy world and get support when you need it without having to go into an office, meet with a therapist, meet with a stranger and go through all of that for the first time. So you can go to teencounseling.com slash she persisted. Again, that's teencounseling.com slash she persisted to get started today. So I have two different follow-up directions I want to go. I first want to go a score. The Mm. amount of pain that you experienced (laughs) as a kid. I just want to, I want to dive into that of how far the impacts of that go. So talk to me. I've heard you say this so many times that according to your A score, you shouldn't be alive right now. Like this emotional pain is not insignificant. It's not discomfort that you feel and then look for these outlets. Like Mm -hmm. there are profound impacts of feeling that much chaos as a kid. Talk to me about that. Yeah. I mean, and um, the A score carries with you. Like I feel so fortunate that I got sober when I did because I had the next seven years before my brain was fully developed to heal without using substances. But a lot of people don't have that. Yeah. So the adverse childhood experience study changed the way that I looked at recovery. And you can check this out by going to ACEs too high and doing the test for yourself. But yeah, the CDC and Kaiser Permanente put together this really comprehensive data that looked at not just addiction, but obesity and a number of other chronic heart health. Yeah. Yeah. Chronic conditions that their patients were dealing with. And they decided that they were going to put together this list of 10 negative experiences, early childhood traumas that you can experience. And then they would collect all of the data And they would look at the increases of different health outcomes based off of how much trauma you experience as a a child. And what's so interesting about this is it's not just the things that you would think of, like addiction, like suicide, mental health impacts. It was at cancer, at diabetes, at all of the big killers in in the world. And so, yeah, my score is a 9 out of 10. They say anything over 4 is, like, way too high. And I am really lucky to be alive today because it increases my chance of suicide by some, you know, hundreds of percent or whatever whatever Mm -hmm. it is. But what's so interesting about the ACEs score, so, okay, so they're like, okay, so we have this data now. Like, we know that early childhood trauma impacts you substantially. They looked at the first seven Mm -hmm. years, the first 14 years, and the first 18 years, right? And and we know this, but then the question becomes like, well, but not all of the people experience this, right? Mm -hmm. Like some people score 
a six on the test, which is considered high, and they don't end up hurting themselves. And so they go, okay, so what is the thing that is changing this, this variability? Mm -hmm. And it's resilience. And so they have a follow-up test that you can do to check your resiliency. So it turns out that I am, even though I don't feel like I'm a resilient person, I am a very resilient person. And so they look at these other factors, right? Things that were like, did you have access to therapy? Did you have a school teacher that you felt safe with? You know, they go through these Mm -hmm. questions and they measure your resilience. And so for me, even though like, yeah, my mental health and all that has been affected and even in sobriety, you know, I've gone through periods of great depression and sobriety so we look at the the resilience and it offsets that ace score which mm-hmm. is so interesting because it's like and here's another perfect example of why like drugs and in themselves aren't inherently addictive it's like most 14 year olds get their wisdom teeth pulled and don't end up becoming heroin addicts <laughs> i yeah. got my wisdom teeth pulled tried the drugs and was like oh yeah baby this is it <laughs> <laughs> and then mm-hmm. i was like fully addicted to the drugs right and it's like Mm -hmm. the difference is the trauma and the pain yeah that makes sense yes yes so we talk big traumas big t traumas Mm -hmm. there's also little t traumas Mm -hmm. so the amount of pain that you experienced was huge it was overwhelming it took over every part of your life and I think one of the amazing parts of your philosophies might be the right word is that even without checking these a score boxes individuals can feel a lot of pain and invalidation and feeling misunderstood from little t traumas what are those and yeah just kind of talking about how this question is going a little bit all over the place no I get where (laughs) you're going I get where you're going so it's interesting because the A score does look at what I call big T traumas, divorce, Mm -hmm. sexual abuse, parent goes to prison, parents are alcoholics. They look at these like big things. Yeah. And so, and then I have these like little T traumas, which, you know, let's just say someone's had four little T traumas. I would equate that to like one big T trauma. Okay. Like, and I'm not like a scientist, so I can't measure these things. (laughs) But what I'm saying is this, that like the the parent that has an unhealthy relationship with their inner child who hasn't healed their inner child expressing their bullshit onto their kids Mm -hmm. traumatic right yeah the thing it's the things that we don't a car accident Mm -hmm. where everybody walked away fine but your parents didn't have enough emotional regulation themselves that instead of being able to be there for you and explain that everything's okay they just shut you down and told you to be quiet right Mm -hmm. it is these like micro and sometimes macro aggressions that we have towards each other and it's living like in this society that is so toxic I think it's it's harder for the older generations to understand this because they didn't grow up. Like I'll just say for me as a millennial, right? So I grew up in a time where I witnessed and saw the Twin Towers 
falling at school. And then proceeded to hear constantly about this war that we were starting to see play out in the Middle East. A time where like we were starting to have lots of mass shootings at school and we were having drills. A time where we had a, a huge depression, right? A world where social media was booming and now I, I was being constantly bombarded with content about race and the suffering of people of color and of women and of children right before my eyes, which is something that like, we never saw that before. And that's awful. But it's like, we're starting to go through this like, awake period, right? Now we have all this like content, we're consuming this content. And a lot of the times the content is very intense. And then also, not to mention like, (laughs) the like, targeting of young women boys too but as young women about their looks and pop culture and all of this stuff right so like you have so much influence going on and so much collective trauma on top of individual trauma and it's like it makes sense to me why people are using drugs you know it makes sense to me why like all of the moms are drinking by 3 p.m. and popping Xanax. Like, that makes sense to me. I mean, uh, not to mention the fact that a lot of us don't have nuclear families anymore. We're raising children on our own. The trauma of of losing, of having to become a two-income household, I think was huge for people. Huge, Mm -hmm. right? We're in the rat race. We're in a literal rat race we're racing to this finish line, which is just dying. And I think for a lot of people, that's a miserable existence. And I think you're seeing your generation saying, "Uh uh-uh, we're not fucking doing this. (laughs) We're not, Mm -hmm. they're like these, we're watching on TikTok unfold this like anti-capitalist Gen Z revolution happening. And I'm like, all, I'm like, yeah, why do we have a 40 hour work week? Yeah, why don't we have healthcare, mm-hmm. maternity leave, childcare? <laughs> you know, it's like uh, yeah. access to yeah. college. Like it's people who are saying like enough. We're finally at the point where we're like, this isn't this isn't working anymore. I mean, the post Reagan world, especially, and your audience might not understand this, but one day they will. <laughs> that mm-hmm. shift where we really became focused on this hyper individualistic society where we idolize the individual over caring about the collective and it is killing us it's killing us and i think a lot of people feel that because and we do and i'll tell you why because when we used to operate and live in tribes we would feel everything and certain people most of the tribes especially would like feel when there was danger coming way before the danger came Mm -hmm. we have more than these you know basic senses that everyone talks about we know we know that that we're suffering we just turn it off because we don't want to deal with it and we can't feel it we're in sensory overload to be aware of that feeling yeah 
And that's why they want you on the social media apps all the time is because it doesn't create space for questioning what's happening out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or what's yeah. happening in here, inside of us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. This week's episode is brought to you by Sakara. You guys know how much I'm stressing the importance of good sleep, good nutrition, getting outside, staying active, because when we don't take care of our physical health, our mental health truly suffers as well. I know that my emotional vulnerability is off the charts when I'm not taking care of my physical health. I can't be productive. My relationships struggle and everything just becomes a mess. Sakara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness, starting with what you eat. Their organic ready-to-eat meals are made with powerful plant-based ingredients and they're designed to boost your energy, improve digestion, and get your skin glowing. Their meals are delivered all around the U.S., ready to eat, at your door, and you are good to go. They also have some amazing wellness essentials, like one of my favorites, their sleep tea, which you know I love a good cup of tea before bed to keep my sleep hygiene in check. They also have things like beauty chocolates, like chocolate that you eat to help your skin, like literally mind blown. So many different supplements, teas, powders, granola, all of that kind of stuff. To get your hands on their amazing products, you can go to Saqqara.com and use code XOSADIE at checkout for 20% off. Again, that's Saqqara.com. Use code XOSADIE at checkout for 20% off your first order. And it makes sense, especially what you're saying about having the individual over the collective going back Mm -hmm. to your own journey with sobriety when you leaned into that community and found that rather than just Mm -hmm. being isolated in your own experience that was that shift that was what changed things so it's it's all connected it's the same patterns over and over and over again that are leading to these feelings of suffering and pain where people become overwhelmed and and lean on all these different ways to cope with that and survive through what they're feeling exactly It's crazy. So wrapping up, I'm doing this new thing where I get people's like top three favorite mental health things that they're doing recently. Mm. So what are your three things, whether it's like a TV show that you just love or being outside, something like that? What are your top three at the moment? Well, meditation's number one, always and forever. Meditate, Mm -hmm. meditate, meditate. So meditation is huge. Yeah, I think being in nature and I know it sounds so cliche but when's the last time that you stuck your feet in the dirt or in the the sand or in the grass it just makes you feel so good being in nature barefoot sunshine it is that time of year now where we get to enjoy the beautiful sunshine it is so regenerative and restoring I can't say enough good things and then and I know this is going to sound so gross I mean I can't do the tv thing (laughs) once you once you have the spiritual awakening it's like I can't watch housewives anymore like I just can't I don't know what it is it's like I have to be so selective about the type of content that I consume because I just have no desire to consume that type of content but a show that I really do love right now and always but Mm -hmm. that I've been watching lately is The Office it's so good I I've seen it like it's a genius it's the comfort show yeah so good I can watch it watch it again watch it again it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter I bought the whole series on iTunes at the beginning of the pandemic for like 200 bucks freaking (laughs) love that show so I would definitely say that like you know but 
staring into my husband's eyes for like 30 seconds and connecting, Mm -hmm. holding my children and hugging them. I mean, all of these things, connecting to nature, connecting to other humans and connecting to our inner and higher selves. So important. It's living. It's all of these things that you forget to experience when you're consumed by your suffering because you're just surviving through the moment. But when you get out of that and you can really just be present, which is something that's so hard when you're suffering, there's all these beautiful moments and it's and it's why people love life, which was something I didn't understand for so long. I was like, why do people enjoy this? This is terrible. We're just going through the motions. But it's when you get out of that place of pain there's yeah. so much to appreciate yeah I, yeah and I think too like living in this very like toxic male-dominated patriarchal society like when you choose like no like I'm gonna take care of myself and I don't care to be in this like like I was saying this rat race anymore it just mm-hmm. free it just frees up space for like just being in a world that is constantly pushing you to do, 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 do all the time, you got to have space to be. We forget to do that. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I am so glad we got to do this and I'm so happy that we finally got to sit down. It's crazy that I was on your podcast before you came on mine, but I wanted to make sure my editing and production, all of that was top notch. So I'm so glad that, that you came and joined me. Thanks for having me. Where can people find you? Where can they consume your content? All of that. Yeah, so you can follow me on Instagram at it's Alexis Haynes. I have a course, an online course called the Life Reset Course, which is an incredible space. You can visit my website, recoveringfromreality.com, and check out the Life Reset Course. And I have my own podcast, which is also titled Recovering From Reality. I have a book on Amazon right now, also titled Recovering from Reality, if you want to take a deeper look into my world. And the podcast is on hiatus right now, indefinitely, but I think I'm going to come back in the fall. But there's like over 100 and what, 20 episodes? There's like over 120 episodes of content. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you join Life Reset Course, you get to see me taking notes every week, so <laughs> yeah. you get to come hang out. <laughs> yes, if you join Life Reset Course, you get to be on the calls and, and see Sadie's beautiful face every Wednesday night. <laughs> In case you skipped the end, we talked all about Alexis's story of teenage heroin addiction, prison recovery, and where she's at now. We covered the importance of unconditional love and family healing and teenage treatment, We talked about checking into your reality and sitting with the discomfort that it brings rather than avoiding it. We talked about what exactly is the ACE score and how your resilience score impacts your experience of traumas. We dove into what are little t traumas and how these impact your life, relationships, and behaviors, and so much more. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please share with a friend, family member, or post about it on social media. Make sure you're subscribed to the show so you don't miss any future episodes and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to let me know what you think. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next Friday.